0: essays nineteen and twenty of the romance of the commonplace by gillette burgess this librivox recording is in the public domain essay nineteen living alone i have lived so long alone now that it seems almost as if there were two of me one who goes out to meet friends transacts business and buys things and one who returns dons more comfortable raiment lights a pipe and dreams one the world knows the other no one knows but the flies on the wall i keep no pets since these would enforce my keeping regular hours the only familiars i have therefore are my clock my fire and my candles and how companionable these may become one does not know who does not live alone they owe me the debt of life and repay it each in its own way faithfully and apparently willingly i have a lamp too but a lamp is a dull thing especially when half filled and this one bores me i might count my typewriter also but she is too strenuous and she makes me too impatient by her inability to spell besides the clock fire and candles may with no great stretch of the imagination be readily conceived to have volition and once started they contribute not a little to relieving the tedium of living alone my clock is always the same it has no surprises it may go a bit fast or slow but it has a maddeningly accurate conscience and its fidelity in ringing the eight o'clock alarm proves it inhuman still it lives and moves beating a sober accompaniment to my thoughts altogether it is not unlike a faithful conscientious servant never obtrusive always punctual and obedient but with an unremitting devotion to orders that is at times exasperating many a man has stood in fear and shame of his valet and so i look askance furtively with a suppressed curse when the hands point to my bath my luncheon or my sortie into town it would be a relief sometimes if my clock stopped were i not sure that it would be my fault but my fire is more feminine full of moods and whims ardent domestic and inspiring now a fire like a woman should be something besides beautiful though in many houses the hearth is a mere accessory it should have other uses than to provide mere warmth though this is often its sole reason for being nor should it be a mere culinary necessity though i have known open fires to be kindled for that alone and treated as domestic servants in my house the fire has all these functions and more for it is my friend and has consoled many lonely moments it is a mistress full of unexpected fancies and vagaries it has too a more sacred quality for it is an altar where i burn the incense of memory and sacrifice to the gods of the future it is both human and divine a tool and symbol at once no one i think can know how much of all this a fire can be who has not himself laid lighted and kindled and coaxed it who has not utilized its services and accepted its consolations my fire is however often a jealous mistress she warms me and makes my heart glad but i dare not leave her side on a wintry day i must keep well within bounds hold her hand or be chilled i need but little urging i pull up my couch take pencil and paper and she twinkles and purrs by my side casting flickering glances at me as i work not till the flames die down and the coals glow soberly red do i find the more practical pleasures of friendship and housewifely service now my fire plays the part of cook and in her proper sphere outdoes every stove or range ever lighted a little duck laid gently across the grate the kettle whistling with steam and the coffee-pot ready what bachelor was ever attended by a more charming handmaiden than i by my little open fire she will heat an iron or shaving water as gracefully too waiting upon me with a jocund willingness no servant could be so companionable still she must be humoured as one must always humour a woman Try to drive her or make her feel that she is but a slave, and you shall see how quickly she resents it. There is a psychological moment for broiling on an open fire, and postponement is fatal. It takes a world of petting and poking to soothe her caprice when she is in a blazing temper, but remember her sex, and she melts in a glow like a mollified child. Kindling and lighting my fire is a ritual— i cannot go about it thoughtlessly or without excitement the birth of the first curling flame inspires me for the heart becomes an altar sacred to the household gods if the day offers the least plausible pretext for a fire i light one and sit down in worship i resent a warm morning when economy struggles with desire luckily my studio is at the north of the house and no matter if the sun is warm abroad there is a cool corner waiting where a fire needs no apology the sun creeps in toward noon and puts out the flames but all the morning i enjoy the blaze in the evening the fire becomes absolutely necessary and provides both heat and light giving a new life of its own to the darkness of the room then i become a parsee put on my sacerdotal robes for such lonely priestcraft requires costume and fall into a reverie for my sacrifices old letters feed the flames they say that coal in burning gives back the stored sunlight of past ages what lost fires burn then when love letters go up in smoke to illumine for one brief last instant the shadows of memory my candles partake of the nature of both clock and fire they are to be depended upon when let alone to burn just six hours marking the time like the ticking pendulum but they give light and warmth too in their own way in gentle imitation of the fire they also have moods less petulant than the fires but they require as little attention as the clock the fire seems immortal though the coals fade into ashes the morning's resurrection seems to continue the same personality and the same flames seem to be incarnated living again the same old life but the life of a candle seems visibly limited to a definite space of time and its end is clearly to be seen in that aspect it seems more human and lovable than the fire a candle is more like a petted animal whose short life seems to lead to nothing beyond we may put more coals on the fire and continue its existence indefinitely but the candle is doomed putting another one in the socket does not renew a previous existence but if it is a short life it is a merry one and its service is glad and generous my little army of candles is constantly being replenished like brave and loyal soldiers, they lay down their lives gallantly in my cause, and new ones fill up the vacant ranks, fighting the powers of darkness. This is my bachelor reverie. But high noon approaches, and my metamorphosis is at hand. Now the sun has struck the fireplace with a lance of light, and I, that other eye, must rise, dress, and out into the world." essay twenty a cartomania with something of the excitement alice felt when she crawled through the looking-glass i used to pore over my atlas geography was for me a pastime rather than a study there was one page in the book where the huge bulging expanse of the united states lay and there on the extreme left hand of the vari-colored patchwork of states and territories was the abode of romance and adventure a long and narrow patch tinted pink curving with the pacific ocean and ribbed with the fuzzy hashures of the sierra nevada mountains this was the ultima Thule of my dreams beyond which my sober-minded hopes dared not stray Further on in the book I saw Europe, irregular, with ragged peninsulas and bays, Asia, vast and shapeless, with the great blue stretch of Siberia atop, and the clumsy, barren yellow triangle of Africa. But these foreign countries were, to my young imagination, as inaccessible as fairyland. They did not properly come into the world of possibility they were as unreal as ghosts remote as the feudal ages and i put them by with a sigh as hopeless the world is a big place to the eyes of a child and all beyond his kin but names how could i know that the end of the century was even then whirling me toward wonders that even my arabian magi would not have thought possible but to-day in this far western town then but a semi-barbarous camp of gold miners i have seen an airship half completed upon the stocks and this morning in my own room i rang up celestine and talked with her over the wire a hundred miles away Maps were my favorite playgrounds, and so real were they that it almost seemed that with a sufficiently powerful microscope I might see the very inhabitants living their strangely costumed customs. There was a black dot on my fascinating pink patch marked San Francisco, and now that dream come true, I try to see this city with the eyes of my childhood, and wonder that I am really here, To get the strangeness of the chance, I have to think back and back till I see that map stretched out before the boy, and follow his finger across the tiers of states that run from the Atlantic to the Pacific. Everyone who has not travelled much must feel the excitement that maps give when intently studied. No one has been everywhere, and for each some unvisited spot must charm him with its romantic possibilities." but there are certain cities almost universally enticing to the imagination the world's great meeting-places where if one but waits long enough one can find anybody london cairo bombay hong kong san francisco new york these are the jewels upon the girdle that surrounds the globe to know these places is to have lived to the full limit of anglo-saxon privilege but the true cartomaniac is not content with ready-made countries he must build his own lands how many kingdoms and empires have i not drawn from the tip of my pencil now the achievement of a plausible state is not so easy as it might appear there is nothing so difficult as to create out of hand an interesting coastline try and invent an irregular shore that shall be convincing and you will see how much more cleverly nature works than you here is where accident surpasses design spill a puddle of colored water on a sheet of paper and pound it with your fist and lo an outline is produced which you could not excel in a day's hard work with your pencil The establishment of a boundary line, too, requires much thought in order that your frontier interlocks well with your neighbors. Your rivers must be well studied, your mountains planned, and your cities located according to the requirements of the game you must name your places you must calculate your distances and you must erase and correct many times before you can rival the picturesque possibilities of such a land as india for instance which from the point of view of the sentimental cartographer is one of the most interesting of states if such an effort is too difficult for the beginner one might begin with a country of which something is known yet which never has been charted Gulliver's Travels, for instance, contains information of many lands that should be drawn to scale. Lilliput, Brobdingnag, Laputa, and the land of horses would alone make a very interesting atlas. The geography of fairyland offers charming opportunities for the draughtsman for myself i prefer the magical territory of the arthurian legends and i have platted sir launcelot's isle with joyous guard at the northern end high over the sea there is a plaisance a wood a maze and a wharf jutting out into a shallow smiling water while the list occupy a promontory to the south oh the opportunities are many for the cartomaniac who has mapped utopia atlantis alice's wonderland or the countries of the fairy queen who has reconstructed the plans of troy and there are other allegorical lands too that should be mapped i have had a try myself at the modern bohemia and have taken the liberty of showing within its much-maligned borders arcady and the forest of arden i have even planned millimours the city of a thousand loves and i am now attempting to draw a map of the state of literature in the year nineteen o two there are many celebrated edifices too that might be trifled with i have a friend an architect who has completed the castle of zenda and he is now occupied with circe's palace with a fine eye to the decorative effect of the pig-pins think of laying out the gardens grottoes and palaces of the arabian nights why has the castle of otranto been neglected and Udolfo and castle dangerous and the moted grange many novelists and i think most writers of pure romance have played this game stevenson dreaming in his father's office drew the map of treasure island and from that chart came forth hint by hint the suggestions for his masterpiece Morris hewlett drew a plat of the ancient marshes and forests where the forest lovers wandered and it is a pity he did not publish it in more detail This is one of the geographical solutions of story writing, a queer, anomalous method whereby the symbol suggests the concept. The cheaper magazines often use old cuts and request some hack to write a story to fit the illustration. But the map is an abstraction. Its revelations are cabalistic, not definite. A good map is a stage set for romantic fiction ready for anybody who can write or dream the play. End of essay twenty.